we got into the world of models and bottles and, and boats and stuff. And then through that, one of our contacts knew Jay Alvarez. And so we engineered a party in Cannes, was it? No, in Barcelona. Jay Alvarez came to our party, he ate some of our food, flirted with the chicks, and then he left. And then an hour later, three guys turned up at the gated at the gates and were knocking and going, hey man, um, is Jay Alvarez here? Cause like, we're a big fan. We're like, what the fuck? How did you know he was here? He's just left. Like I only had him for one hour. He doesn't even know who I am. So I can't help you. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Cool. All right. So what I want to do today is basically give you guys a little impromptu micro lecture about a topic that I've been thinking about a lot lately because I've been preparing for the Lifestyle Design Academy. And I've been designing my life for 20 years to be kick-ass and uh, it's always been on my mind. So I'm going to have a chat to you guys about that. Before that, uh, I'm going to open things up to one or two questions. The first one we have is from Neil. Uh, will this course cover digital nomad jobs? Okay, so I will definitely be covering in depth the digital nomad lifestyle, which is not limited to guys who work on their laptops, right? So I've met lots of, let's say, they're not always digital either. Let's just say post-construction are location independent. Not all the time, sometimes. Sometimes they work kind of seasonally. I used to do that. I used to go and work on fruit farms when I was 18 years old. In the summer, I would work my fucking ass off. That's the last time I did real hard labor before I moved to this farm. So that was a nomadic style of life. It was just an early, early version of it. I was using the only things that I had to trade on, which was my physical labor. Back when I was 18, nobody wanted to pay me for anything else. If you're an 18 year old girl, there's other things you can do. But as an 18 year old boy, not much else you can do but lift and pick. But that was the beginnings of me starting a, a lifestyle where I could be traveling, working and then traveling, uh, downsizing, making my life lean, and then you know saving my cash and putting it into something that was really worthwhile for me on a personal level. So in terms of like, how, will I be covering how to be a nomad? Yes, absolutely. I'm not gonna like teach you no, digital nomad jobs, right? That's up to you to figure out it, whether you're going to upskill in terms of graphic design or photography or massage or consultancy or, or a specialized skill that is in demand like nursing. If you're a nurse, you, you can get a job in right now anyway. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's lots of jobs which do allow you to move and there's also ones that don't. So that's, that's what I will be looking at. And I'll be looking at what are the strategies that I used in order to infiltrate new places. Yeah, because I've, me and my crew have moved cities, countries multiple times and we do that multiple times every year. And we have ways, strategies of arriving in a new place or me by myself or one of my guys, meeting girls, meeting contacts, setting up a, a, a living environment, setting up a lifestyle, getting involved in parties, events, projects, business things. And that all requires an understanding of, of real networking. Anyone who's ever heard of networking, pro, you know, what, what do you imagine when you think of networking? When I do, I imagine you go at 11, 10 a.m. to a brunch where they serve you some brunchettes and there's a bunch of people in your industry and the guys that are girls that are walking around the floor networking 
are not high-level operators. They can't be, because high-level operators don't go to a 10 a.m. brunch to like have a chat and make a contact. That's where people who are at the same level as you go to, to network kind of with each other. It's not a bad thing, but you, you've got to understand that you're not going to hit the top tier at a, at a networking event, usually. Even if the, you've got the main speaker there, well, can you go and talk to them? Maybe. Can you shake their hand? Maybe. Can you say thanks for your work? Maybe. But are they going to be your friend? Are they going to do favours for you? Are they going to bring you into the inner circle? Probably not, not unless you pay them. And that's something you have to understand, is you always have to pay your way in to a in-demand social circle. Always. Not always with money. Right? There's always a cost. Very rarely will someone charitably just invite you into their high-level social circle with all these girls and parties and networks unless you have something to offer them. Right? It's, their human nature is, and oper we operate transactionally. We always have. And it's interesting when you look at like old tribes where, the, where they don't own anything, right? So like the, the, the possessions are kind of belonging to the tribe. But there's interesting things where you would go into an old tribe and they would give you a present, a pig or something. But you would be expected to give them back almost the exact same present at some other time in the season. Right? And, and what that meant was, no one got anything more or less than anyone else. It just kind of got passed around. But it was this setting up the actions of like, I trust you to repay this in the future and I've got an extra pig now, so take it. And then later, I remember, you owe me a pig or a bride or whatever's worth a pig. And that's a big, big deal because in the age of entitlement, many people think that just because they want something and they put it on their vision board that they should get it, get it. And life doesn't work like that. Uh, I get, you know, five, ten messages a week with people just saying, can I have a job? Or, hey, here's this question about this girl. Just like asking for stuff without even saying, excuse me. It's amazing. So, yes, I will. Okay, Sean says, I understand having an interesting social circle is important to maintain relationships with high-value women. With limited free time, how do you balance building social circle and meeting different women on their own? All right, so good question. So we're talking about in, when you have limited time, and right now, do you guys have limited time? Seriously? Like, if, unless you are still working, um, but okay, in the normal, normal times, sure, you've got a job, you're not, you're not a full-time seducer or social circle engineer like me, you have X number of hours to work on things outside of feeding yourself. Now, the best way to look at this is try to blend those things together. So on the one hand, we have building a high-value social circle, and just as a little aside, what do I mean by high value? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear that high value, they get annoyed or they think, uh, or you just imagine like those super cool tattooed guys in a LA club, like with Dan Blazarian and a bunch of models and that's and Shandon and Rolexes and Maseratis and you're like, that's high value. Well, I'm not that and I'm never going to be that. I'm never gonna live in LA and be one of those guys. So eh, high value, I don't know what that means. Or that doesn't, or that's not relevant to me. Remember that in every social tier, whether it's the hippies at a festival, whether it's uh, you know an ultimate Frisbee class, whether it's a group of uni students or whatever, there are hierarchies that exist within this and there are groups and subgroupings that exist. You know this because at high school, if you were like me, you were in the dork group. And we, we didn't have any social mobility at all, really. Like, you could maybe secretly be friends with, like, one of the cool kids might kind of like you or live down the street from you and you might hang out with them, but they wouldn't be seen dead with you because it's bad for their reputation. So, in a way, all of us still, not, not all of us, but many of us live in dorky social groups within 
your scene or within your city or within your half of the city or within the hipster realm of the city and so on. And so that's what I'm talking about. A high value social circle is one that you want to penetrate or you want to build around you. It fits with your lifestyle, so it doesn't have to be the Club LA guys. It might be to do with organic gardening. It could be to do with hippie dance stuff. It might be like, I don't know, people, normal people who work in offices and still want to have fun. It's not, it's not a specific social circle. It's, it's the higher up in the areas that you want to go. So how do we combine that with meeting women? Because if you only work only on that, and I've, I've had clients, I had a client who owned the most expensive club in Melbourne way back 10 years ago was when I was coaching him. He bought the club to, to get girls. He didn't get any girls. And I actually met him because I picked up his waitress, fucked her, and then she told me about him and then I met him. We know guys who, lots of guys who've blown huge amounts of money trying to set up modeling agencies and clubs and all sorts of things to try and get girls. And sometimes got some results, but not as many as they should. On the other side, you have cold approach skills, which there is no replacement for. Just leveraging social circle, I tried that back in the day. I had a band and through parties and I did meet girls sometimes through that, but they weren't the girls I wanted and it was a lot of work. However, when I reached the point in around 2007, eight, when I was still playing in a band and I was cold approaching, what I started to do was meet girls out on the street, say, hey, come and see my band. Or we used to have this thing where we would, um, <clears throat> we would have a dinner every Sunday night at our little share house. Me, Shay, a few other guys. And then we would all invite two girls. Sometimes they didn't turn up. Sometimes we had 25 girls there. And we just cooked. We just cooked some lasagna and lentil moussakas and salads and had some cheap wine. And then we had every Sunday, we at least had 10 people, sometimes 20 or more. And so what that was, it was me going out, spending five minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know, an online game there or whatever, getting a girl's number, chatting to her for five minutes and then saying, hey, um, yeah, we actually, we actually have a Sunday night dinner every week uh, where we just invite random, cool, fun people. Do you want to come? Often they would. And when they came, then the social circle did the work for me. They came in and there's like cool guys and girls, people having fun, They're, we're eating, we're drinking. You know, it's, it's a good vibe. Every, all the guys are well-trained, so no one's cock-blocking each other. And therefore, like very commonly at the end of that dinner, the girl would go up to the bedroom with whoever had brought her, or if not then, another time easily. It meant she came to the house, she feels safe, there's girls around, these guys are cool, they know people, yes, I'm gonna fuck him. That's the most, the most efficient way to run pickup, in my opinion, is build a decent social circle that when a girl walks in the door, she's like, yeah, I, I don't mind hanging out with these people. Or yes, I definitely wanna hang out with these people. So then, then you just allocate your time to, okay, cold approach, sure, you go and do that, but it doesn't take long to approach girls. It doesn't, it takes 10 minutes once a day, twice a day. Uh, and it takes a bit of follow-up time with texting. So you can do that and then you can work on your social life and then just start asking girls two things. And it doesn't have to be a super cool thing. I remember a couple of my friends way back when we were first starting this, they just had a thing that every Tuesday they went rock climbing at the local rock climbing gym. And they just did it because they wanted to go every Tuesday, two guys. And then they would meet girls and they would invite them. And sometimes they'd have none, sometimes they'd have one, sometimes they'd have four girls and they'd come and they'd just do rock climbing, right? That doesn't require you being cool. It just requires you to have a plan. Often that is, you know, often that's all people want. Someone with a plan. Sure, if you, she's a high value girl and she has lots of invitation offers, then maybe she won't take your offer, but you can time it. We used to do those dinners on Sundays, not on Saturdays, because on Saturday, Friday, the girls are going out. Sunday night, they hung, you know, they went out Friday, Saturday, and they're like, oh yeah, I wouldn't mind coming and having a chill 
dinner with some random people. That sounds cool. So, you know, work the timing in around their party life uh, and that can work. What cities, countries would you look into when leveraging low cost living with income from high cost countries? Says Tord. Tord. Hey man. Okay, so in terms of like what countries would I look into moving to when leveraging low cost? Yeah, cool. I think this is a, a really valuable thing to look into for many reasons. If you live in Germany or Norway, uh, you guys pay 50% tax or 40 something percent tax, right? Like something crazy. And you've been brought up to think that that's normal and to think that what you get out of that is worth it on average. And, and of course, like living in Germany or Norway, you guys get your, you know, you've got your housing and you've got your education and you get your medical paid for and it, they look after you well as a, as a functioning member of society, correct, yes, but you pay through the nose for it. We have, a, we have one friend who's got a very successful business and he's in Austria and he's, he's paying millions a year in tax to the Austrian government, which he doesn't need to if he was a bit more creative and a little bit less risk averse. <laughs> I would suggest looking into living remotely, but you don't need to do it all at once. And because it can be a big um, and daunting thing to think I'm gonna leave my country, my job, my friends, my everything, and I'm gonna move to the third world or the developing world and just live there forever and start again because that's what digital nomads do. I didn't do that. Like I, I did little test, test uh, livings to start with. You know, I went traveling to Eastern Europe first just as a backpacker and as a sex tourist. And then I went, whoa, okay, this is awesome. I wanna live here somehow. And so I came back the next year and I stayed for two months and I rented an apartment for two months. And in that time, I think I had one private client. So I made a bit of cash and, and then we, went run, we ran one Euro tour back when Euro tour was very cheap and it barely covered the cost. So it was like my first time of living and working overseas, but it was a two, three month test. I made a bit of cash uh, and I lived in a country and I got a girlfriend and I made some friends and I made a business contact that later on became really important. And then I went back home. Yeah, and then I went back to Melbourne and then I stayed there for another six months. And then I went over again and then I did it for longer. And then at some point, 2012, I think it was, that was when I went, all right, I'm ready to just grab all everything I got, my cash, my passport, and I'm moving over and I'm gonna make it happen. So that's, that's one thing you can do and I suggest you do first is if you wanna start living in, in a cheaper country that has lifestyle advantages, then test them first. Because I can give you a list of some that I think are good, but you won't know until you go because different temperaments. I really like Eastern European girls, even though they're grumpy and difficult to get through their walls. I prefer them than Latin girls because I find Latin girls too much all the time, so much emotion about everything. You know, I'm like, oh, I can't handle it. Whereas the Russian girls like, James, we must talk. I have a feeling. I'm like, okay, I can deal with one feeling. So, you know, you gotta go and see what do you like about or not about the lifestyle. I spent eight years living in Hungary on and off. I was only there half the time, but I was there eight years. And at the end of it, I just, all of us, we just went, you know what? We've had enough of this place. Like for its advantages, it has some disadvantages. You can't really integrate into Hungarian society. Uh, the language is fucking impossible. The people are not very open and friendly and they're not innovative. They're not go-getters on average. And please excuse any, any, any Hungarians on this chat. I'm not <laughs> making a personal attack. I met cool Hungarians, we made some good friends, but not a lot, not a lot of great contacts aside from we picked up a lot of girls and we made a few guy friends and some very important ones but compared to when we moved to Kiev last year, 
only briefly because we got ripped out of there, but we, we accelerated things much faster than we did in Hungary because it was a different vibe, different kinds of guys there. And we were, we were looking to network with high level guys. We had enough women, so it wasn't about that. It was about, all right, what's the next tier level of influence we can have? And that requires influential men. So in terms of some places that you can look at, Thailand, for sure, Kopenyang Island, which has a lot of digital nomads, a lot of like traveling hippie yoga chicks, Russian girls go there to kind of just get out of Russia and stay there for a year. Bali, also okay, except there's a lot of Australian bogans, which I don't like, but in Ubud, in, in Bali. Throughout Eastern Europe, I'm not gonna, I ruined Eastern Europe by giving lots of recommendations because it, everyone went there, but now I'm not there anymore, I guess I can tell you. Uh, I'm not ever mentioning Serbia again. I don't go to Serbia anymore. I've just, it's just been ruined and I don't want to go back and see what it is. So if you want to go there, go there. Uh, yeah, it's the same places, Prague, Budapest, Croatia, Slovakia, like all of them, are, all of them have the same kind of thing, which is lots of hot girls, a cute old city, cheap living, infrastructure that's better or worse. You know, the Infrastructure's fine in Budapest, but don't expect to get stuff in the mail that well. There is no Uber Eats, but there is a variation. Whereas in Kiev, they have Uber Eats and you know, it's, the infrastructure's better. Uh, South America, I haven't lived in. I've only traveled in South America, but from accounts of other people, Colombia, Florianopolis, um, Cali is supposed to be great. And uh, like I spent some time in Argentina and I found that, like that's a, that's a, a digital nomad location that people go to. But one thing you should know about that is the guys are fucking hot and cool and well-dressed and confident, and the girls are too. And they're very like arrogant, or let's say overly confident about themselves. So as a, you don't get any cachet being a foreigner there, really, not much. Like when I rocked up, me and Sasha rocked up, they were like, eh, okay, traveler dudes. And there's all these slick bronze muscular dudes in nice shirts, didn't stand a chance. So yeah, there's some options if you wanna ask me about some specific ones. Ashak. Oh, this is, oh, this is Ashak the dancer, right? How do I spell, I read your name so many times and Gyozalian, and you are a fucking ama amazing dancer, man. How did you restart your life after you realized your musician career is over? Well, it's more like I realized my music career never started. <laughs> um, no, it's, it, it is actually an important point. There was a point when I realized, and it was when I'd been playing music from around 20 in a band until 28, nine, and that's when I started doing teaching pickup as well around that time. I realized that, I, I mean, I had to realize, I, I had to look at the metrics and go, music is only going to take me so far and, it's, and I've reached the top of what I'm going to get here. It sucks because my, I think my music's awesome and we should have been famous in my opinion, but for Australia at that time in that industry, we played every gig we could, we, toured Australia six times. We sold 200 CDs in Japan for some reason at some obscure CD shop. And I could see like, and let, even if we got a big break in Australia, that didn't mean enough for 29 to 30 year old men, eight of us, because there was eight of us in the band, who some were getting married and some were starting to have children. There was no way we were gonna make a living off this band, right? And, and we never made a living. I mean, we made a just surviving sometimes. So it was a bit of a crisis for me. I, I, I had to let go of music as a lifestyle design machine because I saw, I can see what other local musicians who are 30 plus are doing. And they're just playing the same gigs and then they get a normal job and they play gigs on the weekend. You know, and very few of them become professional musicians, mostly as session musicians because they're very good jazz musicians, for example, and they can play in 10 different bands. I wasn't that. 
Whereas my drummer was, he still is. He still plays in 10 different bands. He has his own studio. He's a pro musician, but he just does lots of different work. So I realized, what, do I, what was the most important thing to me out of music? Now, I do like music, right? I still play music sometimes by myself. I listen to music. I like music. But the thing that was, things that were most important to me about that were travel, working for myself, working on a creative project with my friends, and meeting girls. Those were the things. So it was, it was more important for me to not just drag out this dream until I was like a 40-year-old dude playing in the local pub, still trying to make it, still looking for my big break, which is depressing. It was like, cool, all right, I'm going to let music start to fade and I'm going to focus on this new thing, the pickup thing, because it still gives me the things I want. And now I've been touring since then for another 10 years. I've, been, I've still been a rock and roll musician for 10 years just without the rock and roll because I was clear about what are the elements that I need and to, uh, that I need to transfer. And this is something that is relevant to a lot of guys because sometimes you go through a period where you, you do become the, the, in the top area of a social scene. Let's say you're at university or a high school because you know, you're in the sporting team or you're in the cool drama group or the, you were in a band or, or whatever it was. And for some period of time, you, it was working. You, were, you had social leverage and, and girls were interested in you because of who you knew or where you were in the scene. Uh, you were a popular person, and then university ends, or the band breaks up, or you move to a different city, and then suddenly all that's ripped away from you and you're back down to zero. Good. This will need to happen. If you want to be a lifestyle design engineer, this will need to happen multiple times in your life. In 2012, I took my 10 grand, my passport, and my backpack, and I moved by myself to Eastern Europe. That, that first time I was by myself. I arrived, I was rented an apartment, and I went from, I was in Australia the year before that I'd built the biggest lifestyle design empire I'd ever built in Melbourne, gone from, you know, back in the day when I was just a, a dork by myself, basically, to having the last goodbye party, had 300 people, had burlesque dancers, had fire twirlers, had DJs. I was the coolest dude at the time in that scene in Melbourne. Everyone knew me. I'd built that all up, and then I threw it all away. I literally threw everything I'd worked for away in that social scene and I moved over to Europe and started again from zero at the age of 30. And I'm sure glad I did because if I'd stayed, I would have still maintained king of the scene for some time, right? I, I mean, maybe still, you know, I still could have been running parties and doing, having interesting people around and stuff and gotten laid out of that, sure. But it would have, and that wouldn't have been bad, but that would have been where it ended. And for me, you know, I'm like Scarface, I want the world. I don't want all the riches of the world. I want all the richness of the world. You know, I want to induce the world into me. And so that's why it was worth it to me to go and start. And when I was there, I was lonely. And I felt like a dork again because I was like, ah. Oh. And I went and approached some girls and they went, mm. you know, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm a nobody. Yeah, cool. But, I, but I'm a nobody with exceptional skills at building myself up into a somebody. And I did. It took me a couple of years and I imported some friends, got some girlfriends, built a new business, got a lizard, you know, bought an apartment there for 120,000 euros, that place that you've seen on so many videos, 120K, which in Australia, if I wanted to buy something equivalent, would have been over a million, well over, right? So like I leveraged my small amount of investment money and I turned it into, now it's that apartment's worth 650. So I put another 100 into it, so let's say I at least doubled and a bit more my cash because I was smart about it. I looked at Australia and I'm like, if I stay here and save up for a deposit on a house, I will be in debt and mortgage bound for the rest of my life. And then at the end, I will have maybe paid off a two bedroom suburban house. So what? 
And whereas for that, for that same amount of time, I can move here and I've become a millionaire. You know, I have two huge properties. I have friends and lovers all around this great continent. And it's just, and I'm just started. Like even though Corona's knocking us down, we'll be back and we'll be back bigger than ever. So keep that in mind. It, living, living, this is not right now, but soon, is such a rare time in history where you get to the ability to live in other countries and it's not hard. It's not hard at all. It's fucking easy. Even before the, even before the internet, it was way more difficult. When I was traveling when I was 18 to India and there was, you know, I didn't, couldn't email anyone and I, and I was using a guidebook to try and figure out India and I got ripped off and kidnapped and all sorts of shit. And, you know, we're back to my parents' generation when travel overseas was backpacking into the unknown and just figuring it out step by step. Now, you can, see, you can spend a week online and have networks set up, people to meet, meet-up groups, uh, couch-surfing groups. You could go and woof on a farm. You can, yeah, couch-surf in some group student house. There's so much that you can do that when you arrive, you have people to meet and things to do. And if you don't, like, why not? What a waste of this amazing time in history. Just take a month and then fuck off somewhere, live there. And what, what does it mean to live? It means get friends, get girls, have some reason. So if that means just going to do yoga classes there or when I was in Argentina, I hired a really good tango teacher, Shushu, and she just taught me every day. I just, she came around every day and that was why I was there. I'm in Argentina learning tango, meeting some, learning a bit of Spanish and meeting some girls. And it was hard to meet the girls because they all had hot boyfriends, but I was living there for a month as opposed to I'm a tourist looking at stuff. That's a, that's a big difference. That's one of the biggest problems with any networking uh, or, yeah, let's say any networking or managerial strategy is it usually doesn't take into account what is the person like who's, yielding, who's wielding it because it doesn't matter if you do all the right things if people don't like you or if people don't respect you or if people find you abrasive and rude or if people see you as someone who doesn't listen, who's really pushy, or who's a pushover, right? You can go and try and apply the, the seductive economy techniques, but I'm also looking at what are the character traits in the development of boundary setting, of negotiating, of commanding respect, of, of charisma, and um, what's that word where you, magnetism, right? That's, there's a big part of my success is to do with that people want to spend time with me. I'm not saying I'm the most likable person, or I'm not the... I'm not the friendliest person, for sure, but I'm someone that commands respect and I'm someone that people want to hang out with because I'm a very good communicator, right? because uh, I know myself and I'm relaxed. So I can walk into, and I do often, walk into very weird social scenes where I'm so out of my depth technically, but I can crush it. Example, just before the corona thing, I got hired by a one percenter. This guy, he's the son of a very, very well-known billionaire. Not Elon Musk, don't worry. But he's a billionaire kid, right? So he's extremely wealthy. And, and I, he flew me to Barcelona and put me up in a, f a fancy five-star hotel, nice sugar daddy. And then I hung out with him and his, his friends. So these are two guys that like live in a world that you and I don't understand. But I walked in into this hotel. I don't stay in five-star hotels because why would I blow that money? I could, but I don't because I'm frugal. But I went into that dressed like I am met these dudes who were in their suits and whatever, and then I just sat down and said, okay, cool, let's have a gin tonic and let's chat. And then I just vibe with them, looked them in the eyes, asked them questions, it wasn't like, whoa, are you rich? What's being rich like? I'm not rich. It was just like, okay, you've, you've got that, I got this, let's talk. And that means that those guys who many people want to have contact with, they answer my calls, they, they call me. You know, those are guys that I have access to 
that we will do stuff together once this blows over. We will go and do some crazy boat trip or fucking take 20 models to Africa or whatever because they want to be around me. Yes, they want my information, but they want to re be around me as a person. So I do look at this quite a bit in the, in the academy. How, how do you become the person or how do you exhibit the, the characteristics that make you someone that people want to be around? And not just around, but want to do deals with. And so in every scene that you want to be a part of, there is usually one or two people that is a gatekeeper, someone who's very sociable, outgoing, uh, a connector. And how do you access those people is really important because often they are the people you must access to get into the social circle. So we look at ways to target them. We look at the de degrees of separation that you are from your ideal social circle. I was talking to Alex about this uh, last night or the other day. And I said, what's interesting is I th the, in order to win social lifestyle design, you should at all times when you be only one or two degrees of separation away from where you ultimately want to be. And, and we were talking about that and we realized we are, right? Like we know, we know very well people that know and have influence over the ultimate levels that we want to go to. And we have, and we have had some limited contact with, that, with those first tiers. So for example, Jay Alvarez, who's heard of him? Just look him up. If you haven't, it means you're about my age. Anyone who's like 25 or under will know he is the, the internet fuckboy, right? He's a fucking hot surfer model dude, has a million followers or something. Six million followers, sorry. And uh, he, j he gets paid, we don't know, you know, you, you go, what a wonder, who's he paying? Paid. Right, he gets paid 15K to do a 20 second story going, hey guys, do you know like this, these like pellets are pretty cool. That was my 15 grand. So anyway, we got into the world of models and bottles and, and boats and stuff. And then through that, one of our contacts knew Jay Alvarez. And then Alex, because he really wants to meet that guy. For me, he's not, he's not specifically someone I particularly care about, but for Alex, that was his, one of his top tier contacts. And so we engineered a party in Cannes, was it? No, in Barcelona. And then we got another influencer buddy who we've got more influence with, who, who has more influence with that guy to invite Jay Alvarez. And he turned up. Jay Alvarez came to our party. He ate some of our food. He flirted with the chicks and then he left. And then an hour later, three guys turned up at the gated at the gates and were knocking and going, hey man, um, is Javra's here? Because like we're a big fan. We're like, what the fuck? How did you know he was here? And no, he's not here. But they didn't believe me. They were like, no oh, man, like if he's here, can we just have a chat? I'm like, he's just left. Like I only had him for one hour. He doesn't even know who I am. So I can't help you. You're, th you're three degrees away. Three degrees, I'm two. So the point being is that like, we, we analyze all that in the first couple of weeks and you look at how many degrees are you away from your ideal lifestyle? Probably more than two at the moment, maybe four, five, six. And then we look at, okay, how do we strategically move from gatekeeper to gatekeeper and start to move into social circles? And then we have to do deals with them. We have to operate with our seductive economy, trade, give them something that they need in return for something that you need. And then that builds, and with the X factor of that you're likable and fun and people want to be around you. Because, you know, now, Jay Alvarez replies when you write to him, right? Can we test it? Oh, we don't want to waste, he doesn't want to waste his texts. He's like, yes, he will reply, but only twice. So I got to, can't use those. The point is like, he has that contact now. Now he won't burn it because it's not a secure contact. He, they're not best friends. Uh, that guy doesn't need Alex, sorry, Alex. But, but at the right time, he will pull that contact and bring him in again when, when it's impressive and then he'll continue to build that relationship. So we look at all that. So much more, I look at how to use money properly for leverage. Uh, we look at female friends, bringing in how to bring in wing girls 
to create like a much more effective strategy when you have women involved. Like when I had Jess as my wing girl, she was worth way more than five Liams. Sorry, Liam. Uh, not in not in every way, but in that in that certain way. She, you know, she, I got laid five or six times directly from Jess. Like she literally said to a girl they were ch at a, an event where I was. She goes over, she chats to the girl, and the girl says, some, "Oh, who are you here with? Oh, that's my friend James over here. Yeah, he's really fun. You should go and talk to him." And then like shoves the girl to me. Literally one time, it was a party, and the girl said, "It was the it was the last party. It was the last my farewell party." 2012 and the girl said uh, there was a girl came to the party she was a loose friend of Jess's they were chatting and then the girl said oh so who's the who's the host and Jess said this that's James he's gonna fuck you really well and he'll make sure you get home safely you should and she went what do you think and she's like do it and then and then she went James and I went huh came over and she said this is mm-hmm and then it was done all right we just chatted and I walked and I said hey let's go to my room so we're looking at all of the ways that we apply leverage to lifestyle to get certainly more women, but don't, don't be so short-sighted as to think of it just like that. I, I look at approaching women as working for a wage. You approach women, you get results. You stop approaching, you don't get results. You know, you go to work, you get paid. You stop going to work, you don't get paid. Uh, and you have to do that. You must learn that skill. There is no substitute. As I've said before, I've seen guys spend millions, literally millions, and do all sorts of glamorous shit to try and get girls and get almost nothing out of it or just get shitty gold diggers out of it. So you must learn seduction. It is the art of influence. It's the art of uh, magnetism. It's the art of bringing bonds. It's the art of bringing women into your life. But then when you create even just a small social circle, two other cool fun guys and one, one fun girl, that's, a, that's enough. Like that, that four people, you know, and you invite a girl into that thing, that's more than enough. You know, that, that's something that will have an effect. And of course, we can make it bigger and more glamorous. It can be parties, it can be events, it can be sporting things, it can be hiking. It doesn't have to, don't think you have to throw huge parties with cocaine to get laid. It doesn't hurt, but uh, you don't have to. Uh, and many other things. I'll, have a, I'll talk a bit more about it later. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.